Welcome back to Western Reaches, Tashi Station's grab bag geek discussion focusing on science fiction and fantasy books and video games. Sap and I have been on hiatus over the summer, but now we're back with the goal of sticking to a monthly schedule going forward for as long as that continues to be pleasant for us. Uh, we've also been working on a lot of creative projects over the summer, so this episode we're going to talk about what we've been playing and what we've been reading, and also about how being creators has changed the way we look at fandom. Hey, Saf, it's been a while. It has been quite a while, yeah. I was looking at the last episode, it was April, and I was like, wow, so much has happened since then. Basically, I'm judging my entire life around the cycle of destiny events right now. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. that, was, that, like that was before we had like the latest DLC. It was before we knew any of this Forsaken stuff. <laughs> was that even how- before Warmind? I'm not sure. I was going to say I think so, but I didn't want to be wrong. So I think it is. Maybe. Because <laughs> I, th- I think it is because Warmind came out right around when I went to America, I think, which was in April. I could be very wrong. I'm really bad at dates. If it's April, I think I definitely feel like something happened in April that was Destiny related. So Wait, no, um, I totally went to America in May. I Yeah, see what oh, I mean? Yeah, I'm bad okay. at dates. Looks like it's mid- <laughs> Mid-May. Well, great, great start. Um, We're going to talk about Good thing we are not like Destiny news people giving people updates on what's coming in Destiny (laughs) because we'd be very bad at that. Yeah, I would be more prepared for that, I like to think. But right now, (laughs) I'm not going to wear my Destiny news hat because, whoa, not quite ready. (laughs) Yeah. But that's, see, all I've been doing is playing Gambit. So, like, you can ask me any questions you want about Gambit. And we're going to talk about that later. Absolutely. But first, um, we're going to do our normal um, sections. So, first, we're going to talk about books. This is a little unusual because we have been away for the summer. So, these are going to be things that we've read any time between May and now. This is obviously not like everything I've read, but when I was going through looking at what I had read, the ones that stood out to me were either books that I really loved or that I was had been really excited for because I knew the series, knew the author. And some of these were things I ended up covering on Den of Geek. I've gotten more involved with their books department and also Um, kind of more comfortable with saying like, here's a voice that I think needs to be magnified or like, here's an independent publisher that doesn't uh, do a lot of promotion. And like, we should kind of work with them and talk about their book more because mostly I'm talking about Latchkey because I loved it and no one talks (laughs) about it. (laughs) I don't think I've even heard of it. We will, we will get there. So, I mean, we can, so Latchkey is the sequel to Archivist Wasp by Nicole Cornerstace. It's set in a post-apocalyptic world with ghosts and priestesses whose job is to capture the ghosts. This one set is set uh, obviously after the Archivist Wasp, but it's set primarily in like a the one town is being besieged. So it's both the story of a bunch of people trying to protect their town and Wasp or Isabel going through the remnants of basically a superhero or like Spartan training facility and learning about what happened in the past of her world. And it's so good. This series, I think I've said before that this series is like 
practically made for me because it, it is very much like Halo. It's very much like um, superhero stories. I think she was inspired a little bit by Fallout as well. And then it also has this supernatural element and it's all about fierce teenage girls and girls being friends. And she was very specific, to, uh, like very careful to say that she specifically wanted it not to be a romance story. She didn't want any of that to be like central. And I really like that about it. So this, the sequel, I definitely recommend it. I love our campus wasp, but I think I've talked about that before. So all I can say is like, please, please check it out. It's so good. Question. Should I read Archivist Wasp before Latchkey? I feel like I should. Yes. Yes. Okay. They are I'm going to request it to the library right now. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. They are definitely um, one follows the other. They are from independent uh, publishers. Uh, Archivist Wasp was published by Small Beer Press, which I remember specifically because I visited them at a book festival yesterday. Um, Latchkey is published by a different publisher, which I should remember because I worked with them a little bit um but i can't right now so our like great theme of not being able to remember things continues uh i'll get back to you on that one (laughs) okay yes but it's it's a different publisher but they both should be pretty easy to access you can get them as ebooks you can get them at the library awesome yeah well i can get them at my library apparently so that's if you can get them down new zealand you can find them anywhere Hopefully. <laughs> when I was making this list, I discovered that it was it was like 80% female writers, which is awesome. And I kind of didn't intend to do that. But another one that I read this summer that was specifically about, you know, that like, quote, strong female character that had a very, a very distinct um, lady lead was Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roanhorse, which is the first in a fantasy series about a monster hunter. And the sort of, uh, what's really unique about it is that her character is Navajo, and it's based a lot on Native American legend and Native American stories, as well as the experience of living as, like, as colonized people who have then regained their sovereignty in the world. And I, I might not be explaining that very well. I definitely recommend um, I interviewed Rebecca Roanhorse for Den of Geek. So please go like listen to that in her own words. But she wanted to see a Native protagonist and she wrote one. And uh, Maggie Hosky is really cool. And she has um, a kind of anxiety that, that manifests in a way that was very relevant to me. She's a very strong character she also has a lot of depth to her and a lot of kind of both love and a restriction around her um i'm not describing it super well because it has been a while but i really enjoyed <laughs> the imagery in this book and it also as like a person who and i don't think a lot of people have read a lot of like Native American inspired fantasy actually written by a person from that heritage. I think that's relatively rare right now. It was really unique to see someone with that voice and someone with, there's a lot of really justified anger in this book. And one of the things that the author talks about is that it's a post-apocalyptic book, but part of um, like what, like, the apocalypse already happened for Native American people. Like the settlers were right. the apocalypse. 
And that um, I learned a lot from this book that I just had not ever thought about before. And that's, uh, I think, something that's really remarkable about it and something that maybe it shouldn't have taken a fantasy book for me to learn, but that was a vector for that for me. So um, definitely recommend that. That's part of a series. There's also, she's going to have a high fantasy series coming out in the future, which I'm really uh, keeping an eye on. So yeah, that's all I have to say about Trail of Lightning. Also, one that really struck me because it had really unique one thing I think, and Sorry, totally cut in there. Um, but yeah, one thing I think, like you said, that it shouldn't have taken like a fantasy book to like teach you those things. But I think sometimes, like especially with how things are uh, very whitewashed and like a lot of our history is hidden from us because it's bad. Um, sometimes it kind of needs to be. Um, something you engage with because it's something you just engage with normally, um, like a book, like a fiction book or something that kind of teaches you to these things about the past. Cause like fiction, even though it's fiction still carries a lot of like actual historical, historical truth in it. Um, especially when you read outside of like white male fiction. Um, and I think that's kind of an important part of reading and talking about more marginalized fiction. Yeah, Does I would say, <laughs> yeah, as as far as my experience has been, I, I would say that's true. And in general, of course, it's good to see the people that want to write sci-fi and fantasy that, that grew up on sci-fi and fantasy and don't, like, haven't seen themselves explicitly expressed in it before are writing those books now and seeing those things now. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, me too. The... Which I think, like, you know, that's partially what our network is built on. Like, that's, I, I, I like to think that that can be assumed. Like, I don't want to be like, pat myself on the back. We're so diverse. Wow. Like, it's not really, <laughs> you know, it, it mm. this diversity should be the norm. And I'm glad that it's getting to the point where it can be. Yeah, agreed. In terms of expressing kind of putting yourself into a story um one of the books that i just finished but really loved because i had so i had to put it on this list was the mirror wife by maria devana hadley which is a retelling a very loose retelling of the story of beowulf set in a gated community and i didn't pick this up at first i had seen so many ads for it it was very well marketed so there were ads all over the place but I thought that it wouldn't be fantasy enough for me because it is partially about um sort of the high society of this gated community um a woman uh who like is the basically heiress to this like community serves the role of um like the the master and mistress mistress of Herod Hall and then Beowulf is a police officer who ends up getting involved with this. His name is Ben Wolf, and it took me like <laughs> five chapters to realize that that was like that was who he was. But um, <laughs> <laughs> and then Grendel is the son of a uh, a veteran who comes home and has a you know, like horrific PTSD. And ends up living in the mountains next to this gated community. So it is a little bit about the families. It's a little bit about the land. And it's just 
beautifully written. The perspective includes uh, what the author calls a collect. I think it's a collective perspective. So she writes from the point of view of five women using third person plural. So, and then she does the same thing from the point of view of the mountain using third person plural. And it's so good. It's, it's very beautiful. I just want to stare at her paragraphs and take them apart and see how she does some of what she does. And I was afraid that this would be too literary for me. I was afraid it would be dry, but the writing itself elevates it so much. And I think if you like literary fantasy, it is like, it's not a, an action story, you know, but if you Mm. like literary flavored fantasy, it's definitely like it lives up to the hype. Yeah. I remember telling you the other day, I think that I was seeing ads for it on my, on the Kindle that I was using. Um, and I kept being like, I don't know if I'll pick it up, but I'll probably give it a look because I love, I may not be much of a fantasy person, but I'm always here for like beautiful writing. I think you would like it specifically because I think you would feel that the writing style is very instructive and very inspiring. Mm, yeah, I definitely, I'm going to check it out. It's on my list of books to read now because... Yeah, especially after hearing you talk about it, I'm like, ooh, it sounds really cool. <laughs> like, not like my thing, but it sounds like something I'd like anyways. Yes. It's funny, my, the friend of mine who recommended it to me came at it from the opposite perspective. She usually likes literary fiction and was afraid that it would be too fantasy for her. So we right. ended up this meeting in the middle and both loving it. <laughs> That's really cool. The other thing I thought was really interesting about it was that it is an adaptation. The author's also currently working on a translation of Beowulf, and she has a lot of feelings about how the translations have been used to kind of skew the story over the years. And there's like a thing, I, I don't, there was a thing that I learned when I learned Beowulf in college that I kept waiting for it to come up in this book, and it finally did. And I was like, yes, you like, <laughs> chose the most interesting part of this. So I think, like, I mean, I took one class on it. I'm not a scholar in any way, but like, I think if you have read it, you will get a lot out of it. And also, just that makes sense. I haven't really thought enough about the idea of this as an adaptation because, I guess, specifically as an adaptation, born from a passion right so specifically born Mm. from an idea of she wanted to create female characters that could be strong and could express her ideas about what strength is and about what like being a monster is and all those impulses remind me very much of the kind of like what a like what a fan fiction writer does and i don't necessarily want to say I don't think adaptation is fan fiction. I think that those are, you know, we could go down the rabbit trail of how those are defined. I don't want to say this is that, but I do think that some of the impulses might be similar. And as a writer, I was like, I can, I can learn from that. I can apply to that. I can be kind of, you're always being given permission to do things by the people that come before. Right. And ideally you're doing some of them, like some of them, some of things new like you are creating your own trail you're creating a unique stories but there's also real freedom in seeing oh this is allowed kind of and this was one of those books that made me feel like oh you're, you're allowed to write about you know women who 
stand in suburbs and feel like they have claws and you're allowed to do that while referencing this poem this epic poem about a monster and it was just all very good that sounds incredibly cool uh, yeah i'm sort of picking and choosing things but Definitely, these mm. have all been have all been great. Um, so you also, I want to switch to one that I liked less, especially because you also read *Revan and Gun*, which is the third book in the um, *Machineries of Empire* series, which I adore. And the the third one came out in the summer. I was super excited for it. I didn't like it, and that was. Partially for because, like, I had latched onto certain characters that I didn't feel were given the correct, like, due in a very fanish sense. Yeah. And it was also partially because of the actual, like, plot stuff. And I could say, well, here's where I think, like, the writing wasn't strong or whatever. And I do want to go into that, but I also want to hear what you thought because you read it as well. And you probably, you had, like, really high expectations as well. So what did you think? I had a similar thing with, um, latching onto characters that didn't really get much attention in this final book. Um, I can't remember any of their names because it's been a while. Uh, but there was like Cheris, the captain probably. of the ship. Cheris was definitely one of them. Um, this was the captain oh, of the ship from the previous um, book. Yeah. Uh, uh, Kirov. I can't remember her name. Yeah, I loved I loved Kirov. Um, and you barely get any time with her in this after being like a main character in the previous book, which kind of made me sad because um, I wanted more more of Kirov and Cheris, basically. Um, both separately and together. Like, I liked the dynamic that, like, got built in the previous book, and I'm kind of sad that it just kind of got pushed aside for this book. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of had similar feelings. Like, there were things that I thought could have been done better, but all in all, I liked it. Like, I didn't come out of it being, like, disappointed because it wasn't the sequel or the finale I expected. Um, but it also, like, wasn't as strong as the other books for me. Yeah, I, I I would say I did come out of it disappointed. I don't think it was bad at the sentence level, but it was, I felt that, yeah, Cheris was not, she was hardly even present. And yeah. the story that was told instead of finishing her story was about a character that I never really latched on to. And it was sort of just an endless like just terrible things kept happening to him. And whenever you thought something good was happening, you like later found out that no, that was also terrible. And I was just kind of tired by the end, just like let this kid rest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And not, yeah, I I am really disappointed that there wasn't like, like Cheris in it. Like it kind of just became all, what's his name? New, new Jidao. I don't know how to... Yeah, New Jidao, I guess. Like, it kind of just yeah, all became about him and, like, his him. tragic past and, like, all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I like Jidao, but I don't... I love Cheris. Like, Cheris is a really cool character, and I'm sad that, like, she didn't get a proper final arc in this. Yeah, this one left me wanting to rewrite it. <laughs> and yeah. also, I, I do think the Especially after the of- ending of the previous book. Yes. I, I do think the author kind of 
fell a bit too much in love with his own ideas about the backstory stuff and needed to be told like, okay, like we, we get it now, you know, like, let's concentrate <laughs> some more on like the present day stuff. Yeah. Definitely agree on that one. There was way too much backstory flashback stuff. Well, I'm glad to hear that you thought so too. Cause I was a little bit like, <laughs> am I, did I, I don't know. It really, I like, Oh my gosh, I had so many feelings about Cheris and like old Jedi original that I was like, am I am I consuming this book wrong, basically? Am I like, did I not understand what was going on in the previous ones? But no, I think this one was just different. Yeah, I think it was. I think it kind of, I think you're very much right that he kind of fell in love too much with Jedi and his background and stuff like that. And the other guy, I can't remember any of the characters' names. It's been so long. Um that Chiris kind of just got forgotten. And there's supposed to be more. There's supposed to be a short story coming that might be about Chiris. So we live in hope. We can hope. We can We can hope. So the last one that I wanted to talk about, and probably pretty briefly, is A Closed in Common Orbit by Becky Chambers. Over the summer, I read both of the sequels to a swift... Wait, no. I was going to say a swiftly tilting planet, and that's not it. A long way to a small angry planet. That's it. There's two Madeline Langle references in two podcasts. Look at that. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it's a long way to a small angry planet. It was followed by two sequels, both of which I enjoyed immensely. A Closed in Common Orbit was a book that I put off reading for a while because it was kind of about an AI learning to become their own independent being. And I was a little afraid that that would get really tropey and really cheesy. But I really liked it. It was an excellent found family story. I really liked the aliens. Um, my biggest problem with... Uh, planet etc was that it felt too much like firefly whereas this one felt very much like a unique universe so if you mm. want kind of it would be a great beach read it would be a great like comfort read it is uh very emotionally open and very emotionally uh understanding and like like takes care with the kind of effects and like as you can see i'm not in touch with my emotions today <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it talks about the way characters emotions affect them over long term not just short term and i really like right it. yes that's so. yeah that's an approach that's not really taken in a lot of books i can the it actually reminded me of the updraft series a little bit in that way in that it almost looked oh, yeah. like it was a video game. It would have like a stamina, uh, like a stamina bar, <laughs> and how much stamina your character had was very important. Yeah, that makes sense. So, that's all I have. What have you been up to? Oh God, it's my turn now. Um, geez, there are a few books here, and I have forgotten the names of all the characters in all of the books. So I for I apologize for that in advance. Um, <laughs> we're, we're both a bit rusty. Yeah, yeah. I don't exactly. Uh, I've been training through books because I basically broke my knee not long after we recorded our last episode. Um, so I 
churned through a lot of books while recovering because there wasn't much else I could do but read. Uh, so I, I just picked out a few, like Megan, because I don't want to talk about everything because not everything's worth talking about. Honestly, I read a book called Trigger Yappy. It was it was trash. I knew it was going to be <laughs> trash going in, but it was extreme <laughs> trash. <laughs> that title is like all you need to know. Oh my gosh, how evocative. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I nothing else because about of the title. It, <laughs> I will not. I promise I will not. Um, but while I was in hospital, I read a book called Semiosis, which I was reading before I ended up in hospital, but then I ended up finishing in hospital because I had nothing else to do, um, which is a book. It came out relatively recently by someone, Susan Burke or something like that. Sue Burke? I don't remember. Um, which is about some colonizers. Well, not they're not they don't consider themselves colonizers because – they are basically leaving Earth with the intention to uh, fit themselves into another planet's ecosystem. So, like, find a niche that they can fill in another planet's ecosystem so that they don't use up all the resources or anything and they just kind of fit in. Um, so, they head off to this planet to do that and they end up finding this, like, sentient plant or, like, a bunch of sentient plants who are basically fighting each other. And they kind of, like, uh, befriend one of the plants. I wouldn't really say befriend. They kind of uh serve the niche of looking after that plant and it looks after them so it kind of becomes a symbiotic thing uh and so the story is about like the different generations of the civilization as they grow up with this like these plants that can think and interact with them um and the choices they make and stuff like that and it's also about the plant and how the plant grows and i was really excited about this book because i was like oh sentient plant that's gonna be really weird alien stuff yeah. like weird weird plant that plant just kind of ends up being very humanized and it kind of upset me like at some point they na- like it gets gendered as a him and i was like it's a plant why does it matter what its gender is um as i tend to do when i'm reading things about weird alien stuff uh and yeah it turns into a very humanized like kind of plant that like acts and gets like it's kind of like reading one of those ai stories where the ai just becomes like human with human emotions and everything it's like oh i've discovered myself it kind of felt like that but with the plant yeah so i was a little bit disappointed with that especially because i just read um planetfall and so Mm -hmm. uh, i was actually it sounds a little bit like planetfall yeah, so I was kind of going to expecting like kind of the weirdness you get from Planetfall, and it was like it was not weird enough. Which I mean, people seem to be liking it. It's got like good reviews, and I keep seeing it on recommended shelves and libraries. But I I prefer my weird sci-fi to be a bit, bit weirder. Um, so I was a little bit disappointed by that because, yeah, yeah, that sounds like it's actually exactly what I didn't want Close and Common Orbit to be. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. God, I just want some more weird alien plant stuff. <laughs> it probably doesn't help as well because I read Children of God um, not long before that as well. So I had like a couple really good weird sci-fi kind of things with like good interpretations of like alternate, like how things in different planets would grow up and like act. And then I got to this book and it was like, yes, everything is like humans, but they're plants. And I was like, no, nah, no, I don't like that. It did have some cool ideas though. Like the writing was pretty good. It wasn't like breathtakingly good, but it was pretty good and it had some cool ideas and I really liked some of the characters and the choices they made. It was just the plant that disappointed me. Yeah, especially if you've been reading things with like really alien aliens before that, I can see how that would be disappointing. Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't read Grass right before that because that would have definitely ramped up my expectations for weird plants. Oh gosh, yeah. And definitely (laughs) the planet fall connection. I just, you just made me remember how much I love Grass. Yeah, God, I thought about that for the first time in ages. I was like, oh, God, I love grass. Maybe I should reread that. 
Um, I also read The Will to Battle, which I think I may have read before that. I don't actually remember when I was reading this book, but it was at some point. No, it was when I was in my leg brace. So it was while I was recovering. There we go. So handy. Um, what a good frame of reference in my mind. Uh, which is the third book. Uh, I can't remember what the other book's called. The, to Like the Lightning. It's by Ada Palmer. And it's the third book after To Like the Lightning, um, which I talked about a while back when I read it. And it's also a sequel. I can't remember his name. A second book. Um, I remember you saying that you didn't you didn't like it very much or you wanted to like it, but it didn't do it for you. So Yeah. And yet I still pick I still keep picking up the books. It's because I swear to God, this keeps happening to me, but I thought the first book was a standalone, so I picked it up and I read it through. And I was like, okay, cool. And I got like uh ten pages from the end and I was like, there's no way this book can wrap up in the ten pages they're left. This is gonna have a sequel, isn't it? And so then there was a sequel and I was like, this story will be continued in this next book. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll grab the next book and finish the story and then I'll be free. <laughs> and then I got 10 pages in the end of that book and I was like, hang on a second. You're trapped. Is this a trilogy? Is this a trilogy? And then it was like, this will continue in the world to battle. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll read that. So I requested a library and got it when it came out. Um, and I got 10 pages from the ending and I was like, hang on a second. Turns out it's not a trilogy as I then assumed it was. And there's a fourth book coming out, which I think is the last book, but I cannot but, but actually. You requested it though. Like you didn't just give up. No. Cause like by that point I was in too deep. And to be fair, because I'm in this deep, I actually really care about the world building and the politics of the story. I don't care at all about any of the characters i like they're all extremely unlikable none of them are realistic like nobody acts like a real human um but i really like the politics and so i get really invested in the world of the the story um like when i was reading it i would like i because i just read and my flatmates tend to be around me and i will like i get really into books when i'm reading them so i'll like swear and stuff and like be like oh my god i can't believe they did that like i actively <laughs> vocally react to books um <laughs> and so there were a couple times and i was like oh my god i can't believe they did that and my flight was be like what the hell is she talking about and i'd like try and explain the book to them and they'd be like okay sap have fun with that but there's a really cool concept in it which is um there's like the different i forgot hives i think i don't remember exactly what they're called uh different nations so like the nation state idea has disappeared in this like future world and like the nations because there's like flying cars and people can get anywhere pretty much instantaneously or within a couple hours so like the idea of like just country nations is gone and so basically there are nations that you can like opt into and they become like your your nation um and one of them is called utopia which is basically they're the utopians and they basically have a very optimistic view of the future they like want to go into space and like do this stuff and like they don't they don't kill without need like they're, they're very cool i very much love the utopians um and they all wear these I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's like a material. They all wear cloaks that are of this material that um, displays the future that that utopian sees. So, like, some of one of them like has ants everywhere on his because I think he loves ants. I don't remember why, but he just has ants all over his. And one of them like shows like flying castles and stuff like that. Like they show just like whatever world they believe in on their cloaks Interesting. Um, but whenever so a utopian like a, dies like a screen or a hologram yeah it's like a yeah they're like cloaks that can also turn them invisible i think because they camouflage so like it basically just shows whatever they want on it because it's a technological thing i don't know they are the technology uh nation so they just do all that stuff okay and whenever a utopian dies every single utopian's cloak will just like like go flash like bright white for a few seconds um or like become static. I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's something like that. So every single utopian will just do that. And so there was one point in the scene 
where like there's a bunch of utopians there and just suddenly like that happens it was like the first time it ever happened in the books and i was like damn that's real cool like it it was just really like it was really jarring when it happens because you're just like oh shit i know what that means um like i know exactly what that means and because of the way the book leads up like you know what that particular like that death means for the future of the world. So the world building is extremely cool and I really enjoy it. I just wish the characters were extremely cool and realistic because I can't quite get into any of the characters, even the main character. Like I'm kind of attached to him because he's the main character. Um, But everyone else, I'm like, I don't care. Whatever, do whatever you want. You're all terrible people. Yeah, I definitely get that. that the, you're just like, you want to just walk around in that world? Like, can't leave? You're like, yeah. Like, I just want to put, like, me and my friends in that world instead of this these people. Yeah, exactly. And I have no clue how these books are going to end. So I am going to read them. And I swear to God, the fourth book better be the last book because <laughs> this keeps happening to me. Um, but I am really curious how it ends now because I've been I've read three of these books and I'm quite invested in the world. Uh, so, like, I don't love the books, but I am extremely invested in them, which is such a weird place to be in, but it's where I'm at. That is a weird place, and I can imagine, like, that's, like, I can imagine you just, like, theoretically going up to the author and being like, I like your books, but you need to stop. <laughs> like, it's the opposite. <laughs> it's the opposite. Like, obviously, you wouldn't do that in reality, but it makes me laugh because yeah. it's the opposite of the, like, having to wait a long time for a book you're really excited about. It's it's like that, <laughs> but you want it to happen so that it's over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, the day I'm free from these books will be a good day. <laughs> That's quite a recommendation. Yeah, like... There, I have a lot of friends who do like these books. Well, I say a lot of friends. I have a couple of friends who really like these books. So, like, they do definitely have an audience, but I definitely struggle with them, even though, yeah, it's 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 a weird relationship with these books. I don't understand it. <laughs> um, but, like, when it comes to books, I do really like, well, I guess short books, novellas more. Um, I read some Brooke Bolander stuff because – Turns out Brooke Bolander is an amazing writer. Um, who could have known? So good. So good. So good. <laughs> so I read The Only Harmless Great Thing and No Flight Without the Shadow, which are two different short novellas. Um, and it is both incredibly amazing. Like, Brooke's language is just gorgeous. She writes how I wish I could write because the way she just describes things is just – she writes with, like, ambiguity. So she doesn't clearly define anything. But, like, the way she writes it is all about the emotions and the – kind of atmosphere of it that you just get enough of it um so like the only harmless great thing is about um kind of combining two historical events which is an elephant that got irradiated or something like that um yeah, a real elephant topsy the elephant yeah topsy that's it yes and then um the the those nuclear girls who were painting the watches with the radiation stuff but the you plutonium i don't remember what it's called with the radiation stuff that glows so that the watch faces would glow um who all like died because they would uh use them lips to like point the brushes because that was what they were told to do and at the time they didn't know that like that would kill them all because they're literally just putting radiation into their mouths and so it's combining those two events basically to tell a story about being subjugated by capitalism and how radiation is bad. Um, I'm making it sound way more like bad than it is, but it's an extremely it's good accurate, book. Accurate though, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's extremely good. Like it's for such a short story, it fits so much emotional weight into it. Um, and No Fly Without the Shatter is about like 
a world where humans have kind of destroyed everything and it's like the last of like animal it's not the animals themselves but it's kind of like their uh soul representation i guess are like moving on and it's about like humanity and humanity's ability to destroy or change and that kind of stuff and it's it's so gorgeously written as well um they're both incredibly good i think the only harm's great thing i enjoyed the most because like i love elephants but also like i don't know i just like the whole radiation freaks me out like the whole idea of radiation freaks me out so like that whole book was like kind of played really well into that in my brain um and no fly without the shadow felt more like something i was watching from a distance if that makes sense but i really enjoyed it regardless I agree completely. Um, the only harmless great thing had more of a plot, which is, yeah. I think was was better for it. But I would love to like. I just want to like sit Brooke Bolander down and tell her to teach me how to write. <laughs> like she's seriously amazing. and so oh consistent. My God. The, the voice in these two novellas is very unique and in a different way. And then she has a short story that is a completely different voice. Like I don't. What is her, her process must just be like mag- magical. And yeah. both of these, I mean, I read No Flight Without the Shatter. I was already kind of sad that day and I was just oh, no. miserable by the oh, end no. of it. It's, it, it. it's It does not have a happy ending, right? Yeah, but, but it's still a little bit hopeful at the ending, even though it's not happy. That's you know that's a really good distinction. I think you're right, and it's, mm. it's like it important. is extremely sad. <laughs> yes, and it's free. I believe you can get it for free, right? It was either free or extremely cheap on Kindle. Yes, I can't remember which one it was. Yeah, I think it might be free on Tor, and then you can buy it for oh, like yeah. three dollars on yeah. Um, I think your that's it. Digital book platform of choice. So yeah. And yep. here I am giving people I care about money, I guess. But yeah, no, it is extremely good. And if you haven't experienced Brooke Bolander's writing, I would very much recommend going to read that because the only harm's great thing. Um, I don't know where to find that easily. I just got it in my library because it was on the it was on the mystery shelf. That's why I picked that one up. Um, the mystery shelf did me good for once. <laughs> for once, <laughs> I love the mystery shelf. Me too. I'm excited to get home and get back to that mystery shelf because I went to a library the other day and I literally didn't know what to do if there was no mystery shelf. So I was just wandering around just like, I don't know how to pick out a book now. I don't know how to do this. So I ended up getting like three books I've already read because <laughs> I don't know how else to deal with things. You're so used to the universe offering books to you. Exactly. Um, yeah. And then I also read uh, The Three Body Problem and the two books that follow that, which is The Dark Forest and Death's End. Um because the three-body problem was cheap on my Kindle. Like, it was really cheap on sale, and I really need something to read. And I only had my phone with me with the Kindle app, so I just got that. And it turns out I didn't start reading it when I needed that anyways, because I just started rereading uh, another book. Um, but I eventually picked it up again, because I was like, I might as well read it, because I've run out of books from the library at the moment. And, oh, I fell in real deep with that book. Like, there are certain books that, like, I get really invested in, and I can't do anything but finish the book. And it's it's the worst, especially when the book is as thick as these books, because they are very big books. Um, and I, I'm kind of surprised I got so into it, because it's these books are written, like, I'm pretty sure you've talked about before, Megan, but they're kind of written more like a history than an actual, like, story happening. Um, so 
it's it's kind of a detached way of looking at what's happening in the books and it's interesting and it's kind of hard to resonate with sometimes because it's so very like um the author will just explain things in the most minute detail like the science and the maths mm-hmm. of things in the most minute detail i'm like i know you understand this but i am stupid and i don't understand maths um it, it <laughs> over, it, like it's right on the edge where hard sci-fi meets an actual textbook i think yeah is, absolutely i i liked it i found it like extremely well constructed i just uh, but i didn't enjoy it like i found it too dry mm. and i didn't like read the rest of them but it yeah, sounds like you, you really got into them. So I know, I know a lot yeah. of people got into them. Yeah, I had a bit of trouble with um, The Dark Forest because I think they had a different translator. It wasn't Ken Liu. Um, and so it felt a bit drier than the other two. Uh, but I really liked the first one, especially like once it hits like the trisolar and stuff. I was just like, oh my God. So basically these books was just a process of me being like, oh my God, this is even cooler weird sci-fi. Um, <laughs> I was basically just reading them to see where it would end. And when I picked up the first book, there's like a timeline in the front of the book, like with different eras that the human species goes through. And I was looking at it and I was like, what the hell are these? I don't understand what this means, but I really want to know. Um, yeah, I just like, I don't really care about any of the characters in it. But, like, the weird sci-fi science stuff was just amazing. And I got really into that because it touches on so many, like, sci-fi or real-life space things I just find extremely interesting. And it touches on it in quite, like, a, you know, well-founded way that's not, like, flimsy sci-fi. It's, like, actual solid, like, (laughs) there's science and stuff in this. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, And, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it, even though – because I can't see things in my head, I really struggled with some of the imagery that he was trying to bring across. Because uh, it's I can't even imagine half of the stuff he talks about. To be fair, I'm not sure anyone can because a lot of it is like starts talking about like in the later book starts talking about like in, like extra dimensional stuff. So like in the fourth dimension, in the fifth dimension, I'm like I literally do not. You've gone to too many dimensions, man. I can't do this. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I I think I wanted diagrams for this book. Yeah, I would really enjoy diagrams, honestly. And I read, I watched Interstellar the other day, and there were parts of it in there. I was like, maybe that's what he was trying to describe. Maybe it would look like that. Um, so Interstellar turns out some of the ideas in that aren't super far away from some of the ideas in this trilogy. Um, I mean, huh. in some ways, visually, potentially. Uh, I have no clue. But I really enjoyed them. They just, oh, quite a lot to get through. Yeah. So our next topic is going to be games that we played this summer. Um, both of us have played a ton of Destiny. Uh, we were talking <laughs> before we started recording about how we kind of expected to have like a whole list of indie games and of short games to play. And really the first thing that I thought of is, is I've just been playing Destiny 2 all summer. <laughs> so we're going to talk about Destiny 2 for a little bit, specifically about Forsaken, the DLC that came out a couple weeks ago as well as about kind of the pattern that like ebb and flow the destiny 2 has gone through this summer because i think that it has and i'm curious to see if you've also experienced this where destiny 2 when it came out seemed very much like it would have a very long tail. there was a lot to do and then 
But then pretty quickly, I dropped off. I found myself just not playing as often. The things that I could do to level up usually required being in a group. And I wasn't, I didn't always have a group, like often, but not always. So I found myself using Destiny 2 mostly as a social crutch, like to talk to friends that I didn't really talk to all that often, except when we were playing Destiny 2. (laughs) So it became less of a game and more of a social event for me. And then Forsaken dropped, and I'm totally back in. I have so many things that I want to do in Forsaken. I have this ridiculous quest to go after Malfeasance, which is like one of the new exotic guns. And I'm definitely, now I'm saying again the same thing that I said last September, which is, well, I think this is going to have a long tail. <laughs> and, you know, maybe it maybe it actually will. Maybe this is just the, like, pattern that, that Destiny is going to go through. So, have, did you also experience that where you, it was a lull, and then you kind of came back with a vengeance? So, I um, haven't actually taken any huge breaks from Destiny, I guess consciously, um, I took some breaks when I was like uh, busy with other stuff and didn't actually have time for Destiny or like didn't let myself play it because I knew I'd play it too much. But Destiny, I've kind of fallen into a pattern of like, it's just, at least before the new expansion came out, um, I would just run around and just shoot stuff and do, I don't know, collect stuff and try and grind up my character uh, just to like do something to relax. Because um, that sounds relaxing. It is actually really relaxing for me though because – I really enjoy how Bungie does gameplay. Like they've just really perfected game feel and I really appreciate that. Uh, Bungie's great at that satisfaction loop thing. What's the technical term for it? Something like that. Feed. Mm, I don't know. There is a word for that. I know what you mean. It is. Yeah. Bungie's so good at that. And I just, I don't know. I just keep going back to it. Like I haven't, yeah, taken any huge breaks. Like I haven't been bored by the game, even though, like people weren't wrong when they were saying there wasn't much in-game content, um, but once Warmind came out and then the ramp up to Forsaken, uh, I've discovered that there's a lot that I wanted to do. Considering I decided I was going to go for that Solstice armor, which was a lot of destiny to play to get that armor. Yes, I got to the blue set. I did not get to the purple set, but I did finish the or like finish like I got to the blue set. So yeah, but that was fun. That was definitely a good. That was like during my like destiny as social space period. So that gave us a lot to do and that was nice. And of course with Forsaken, there's a ton to do. I don't have you, you haven't quite finished the campaign yet, right? I finished the campaign, but I haven't done like everything that you can do story-wise, I guess. Like, cause there's the whole uh, Dreaming City thing that you can unlock after the campaign is like finished. Like, the, technically, the campaign is finished, but it hasn't, like, fully finished, basically. Because uh, yes. I got the achievement and the triumph being like, you finished the campaign. And I was like, cool. And it was like, actually, go do this thing. And I was like, okay, because it gives me more to do. Uh, so I finished the story of it, at least. But I have, I don't know, that next little bit to finish off. And I was going to finish the campaign right after it came out. But then I got very distracted by the new bounty system. <laughs> it- <laughs> Yeah, so I've been, technically I have access to the Dreaming City and I thought that I would love it because it has some lore stuff that I adore. Forsaken had some moments where I was just like, I can't believe we're actually seeing this on screen. Like stuff (laughs) like lore stuff that I've been into for three, four years. Yeah. So that was all great. But then when I got to the end game, I found myself 
uh, ignoring the Dreaming City stuff and just playing Gambit for seventeen hundred <laughs> hours. <laughs> oh, you've so. played so much Gambit! I am so impressed. <laughs> it's because it's actually it's PvP for people who don't like PvP. It's like it totally waves is. waves of enemies, and you're playing with real people, but you don't have to worry about them until like the invader section. And it just it just works really well for me, and I'm I love like the new character that comes with it. I love the like the weapons that you can get from it. So I'm just having a great time. But I really need to like stop the gambit addiction and like do other actual endgame stuff that I'm supposed to be writing about because I'm not <laughs> supposed to be writing about 17 hours of gambit. So, but they should let you write about 17 hours of Gambit because I would read that because and they, I've only played one round of Gambit so far. My team did win even though I didn't know what I was doing and I accidentally screwed up a whole bunch. Uh, somehow my team still won. I was being carried a lot, I think. It's very confusing in the beginning. I definitely had my moments of like, where's where's the bank? What do I do? But part <laughs> of what I like so much about Gambit is that you can see what the other team's doing. You can see their progress. So it almost feels like being psychic and being able to see what's going on on the other side. You know, you can't actually see the other team, but you can really strategize according to what they're doing. And I really like that sense of like having sort of a top view of a battlefield and then also being on the ground at the same time just fighting waves of enemies so super I'm fun i'm not gonna lie i didn't even realize you could see what the other team was doing <laughs> is that like in the little bars up the top does it tell you stuff yes. there okay yes. see i did not it's- i did not understand what any of that was though i did get like a little bit of satisfaction whenever i sent a blocker over and i was like <laughs> have fun with this team <laughs> Yes. Yeah, and you you'll get it. it it's uh, I think it's really neat how they like did the UI to show you what stage the other team's at, but it definitely takes some getting used to. Yeah. It's it's a very different way of playing, but it's it's really cool. And I think it's very unique. It's a game type that not only Bungie hasn't done before, but as far as I know, there's not there hasn't been anything quite like it. Like Ever, so yeah i can't think of any like competitive game stuff that does something like that it's a it's a really good way of introducing pvp without it being like crucible fight other people other live humans who know what they're doing it's like you are competing i also love the bit that um at the start you can see the other team it's it's very yes. good yeah use my that, sassy like- emote at them <laughs> there's a like fun little moment where you're in the lobby and i do think i guess it's kind of a loading screen but it's also just an opportunity to see that like yeah there are other people on the other side and yeah I have the um the like standoff emoji <laughs> so yeah it's a uh, it's a good time it's so oddly enough i've completely transformed as a person because instead of playing a single player game i'm just obsessively playing gambit but the single player game that i probably should or or could be experiencing is spider-man the new (laughs) like i think it's technically called marvel's spider-man which i have only played the first mission of and was very good um my disclaimer is that i have a friend who worked on it so i had to buy it to like support her she interned with the studio and was like telling me about how it was and i was really 
it was really exciting for her, so I wanted to be sure to pick it up. But I was then also really glad that it got really good reviews. People have said it's like it's so much fun, and I do really like it. I'm kind of carefully strategizing right now because it's on the PS4, and I play most games on an Xbox, so I like have to remember the controls. And there are a lot of combos in Spider-Man, so it's like. I'm going to have to remember eight different combos and then go to a completely different console and play Gambit for two weeks and then come back and I'll have forgotten everything <laughs> about Spider-Man. So yep. right now I'm kind of strategizing like, okay, I'm just going to like finish Destiny stuff for a while and then I'll go back. So I've, I've put aside Spider-Man for now, but what I have seen of it so far has been really fun. The combat's great. The script is really fun. Everybody's talking about little details like the social media feeds. It seems just really polished. And the idea of a superhero game didn't necessarily appeal to me as, like, that wasn't itself a draw. But I'm I'm glad that I got it. I'm looking forward to playing more. Yeah, I'm excited to see getting such good reviews. Uh, people really seem to be loving it. I probably won't play it, mostly because I barely touch my PS4 these days. Um, and I'm also so deep in Destiny. I don't think I could pull myself away to play another AAA game because I don't want to spend that time not playing Destiny. It's a problem. Destiny has become a problem for me. Um, <laughs> but, I'm glad you've, you've joined us in the Destiny pit. Oh, it has, it has absolutely happened. Like I've gone, I've just gone so deep in there. I'm just like, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do the clan stuff. I'm going to do Nightfalls, and I've been doing everything, and it is a lot of stuff. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man looks really cool. Like if I get a chance to play it, I really want to because. Yeah, like you said, like really polished, and I love a good polished game. That's about all that I've been playing uh, recently. Um, we did, I did want to talk about E3 a little bit. We had discussed having an episode after E3, and it just never happened. So oh, yeah, there have E3. been a lot of game announcements since. Yeah, so, <laughs> and that was where like Forsaken was announced. Oh, at yeah, E3. that's right. I forgot about seems that. Like, yeah. So long ago. Seems like another, another world now. Yeah. At least. Well, Forsaken itself was not, but, like, the first trailer and, like, the idea of Cade's death was announced there. So, the only thing that I wanted to make sure to point out while we're here with our limited amount of time (laughs) and because we need to stay on brand is Halo Infinite, um, which was announced and we know pretty much nothing else about it. Yep. I have a lot of theories about what's going on, about what it's going to cover, what kind of game it's going to be, but with no real solid answer... It, we just know so far that it looks like a very pretty, possibly open world Master Chief game. So that's cool. I don't really have too much to say about it, except with its Western reaches, we couldn't not talk about it. Yeah, a little bit. exactly. Yeah, I am tentatively very excited because Halo 5 continually disappoints me whenever I think about it. Um which makes me really sad to say, because uh, I've been replaying through Halo again with someone else this time, because I keep introducing people to play, well, keep making people play Halo with me, so they'll play Halo and understand what I'm talking about. And then we hit, like, 4, and I'm like, 4 is so well written, 4 is an amazing game. And I think about 5, and I'm like, uh-huh, do we have to, Laura? I don't want to. Um, so I'm like, I want another Must Chief game, and I'm glad that is going to be a Must Chief game. And... I'm also extremely excited for like the fact that it's going to be like in a new engine and they're going to do new stuff for it. I'm really keen to see what they do. But I'm also like, please, please write a good game though. My relationship to Halo has changed a little bit and I'm not sure I know what I want from it anymore, which also makes speculating difficult because yeah. I'm not as invested as I used to be. But it's at the same time like, 
Halo is one of those things that I've kind of always come back to. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what this is going to be about. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. It, it's tough because it is going to compete with Destiny. It's going to compete with a lot of games that are designed to be long-term experiences. And I'll just be kind of curious to see whether it's like whether it finds a place in my schedule as a long-term experience the way Halo games have in the past. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I guess we'll get it eventually because they didn't show much at E3, but I'm I'm glad that they finally announced it was happening because there was like no news about Halo 6 for a while and I was just like, is it actually going to happen? Or like, what's going on? I don't know, but it's happening and that's very exciting. And um, actually... Yeah. What do you think about the fact that it's not called Halo 6? Like, do you think that that means that they might go away from some of the choices they made in 5? Do you think that that it doesn't mean that at all? Any idea about the fact that they just, they, they're not branding it as part of the, like, the Forerunner trilogy quote was kind of a big thing and then it wasn't anymore? Yeah, I have no clue. I imagine it will still stick to a lot of, like, the same stuff, like the Forerunners and the AI stuff, because they've been building up on a lot of that stuff in the novels as well. Like, I have a lot of theories that are basically based off, like, what have they actually been focusing on novels? These things. So they're possibly going to try and bring that more into the next game. But, like, it's all theorizing. Um, I do find it interesting that they did choose not to give it a number, though, because I feel like it means that, like, even if it does continue the story of the previous two games, it's still going to do something different to try and move away from that, potentially. Um I have no clue, honestly. Like, I, oh, yeah, like you, all I have is speculation and theories, which are based on, like, you know, literally nothing. Because there's nothing about the game out. Yeah, we'll see. It's hard to speculate at this point. Yeah. Um, but speaking of Halo, I have been playing Halo, but I've also finally picked up ODST and then I p promptly put it back down again. Um, <laughs> because. <laughs> so. Yeah. Huh. Uh, it turns out, don't like the game. Um, like, I, I remember trying to play it ages ago and being like, oh, I'm not playing a Spartan, what's the point? And basically, I had the exact same reaction to it this time. But also, I now have an active dislike of Buck, which means I've gone into this with already having a dislike of Buck. So as soon as Buck was on screen, I was like, oh, it's Buck and Nathan Fillion, I don't want this. Like, no, no shade on Nathan Fillion. Like, I love Cade. just turns out when Nathan Fillion looks like Nathan Fillion in a game, it's very jarring and I don't like that. Um, because on my brain is just like, it's Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion's here. Nathan Fillion's talking. Nathan Fillion. <laughs> and I can't be like, yes, this is the character Buck. It's just Nathan Fillion. Um, hmm. And that, that's been a big struggle for me. It's why I couldn't read the book about Buck. It's why one of the reasons I struggle with Halo 5 so much. It turns out I struggle with ODST with it. But also, like, ODST is just not a great game. Like, it has a really big hype around it. And I think it's because when it came out, it was quite different. Like, it was a new thing and it was interesting. But in, like, playing it now after, like, all of the other games I play that, like, are Bungie games and, like, the rest of the Halo games, I'm just, like, the writing's not great, um, the, like, design of the game isn't great, and it's just a little bit, uh, not daunting, what's the word, kind of just frustrating to play. Um, so, yeah, I, I've ended up putting it down because it turns out I don't care enough to finish the game. I'm actually glad that you're joining me as a Halo heretic who doesn't love ODST. Oh, I'm so glad I'm I feel with very you. Much, yeah, I feel very much the same way. I didn't get that sense of like, like, I mean, I think it's pretty, 
I feel goofy saying it, but I think part of the big appeal of Halo is the kind of power fantasy of being a Spartan. And when you didn't have that, it just felt like a slog. Yeah. I also, I think just the order that I played the games in, I I didn't get that experience that you had, or, or rather that you said some people had. I think that was a really good observation of people liked it because it was something different whereas the way the order in which i experienced the games i didn't quite have that so i i agree with you (laughs) that's my my halo heresy yeah and i just really like halo is like military sci-fi and a lot of time like the military camaraderie kind of thing is you know quite played up because that's part of what makes it halo but i feel like odst kind of goes a little too far in that and the characters are really unlikable because they're kind of doing the like making fun of each other all the time but they just do it really meanly and it doesn't feel like they're doing it as a squad yeah. it just feels like they all hate each other um and it's really hard to yeah. like believe they're a team and also like they're odsts so like the fact that like we're not leaving without this man i'm like well you kind of do that though that's like what you're meant to do is you just go in there and like you expect like each other to die um so like sacrificing all of yourselves to save like to pull out someone's body seems like it goes against the whole ODST thing. I don't know. I am biased against ODSTs because of Buck, which is really annoying because ODSTs are really cool. Um <laughs> No, your your true yeah. Spartan loyalty is Yeah. I agree with it. <laughs> and also the whole like previous romance thing with Buck and what's her name was just like the moment they start doing that, I was just like, Oh my god, are you actually kidding me? Like this is just very tropey, very poorly written like it's just it's not great no offense to anybody that loves that game because i'm sure you have good reasons to but i it's the one halo game well that's a lie i haven't played the halo wars games but that's because of bad strategy but it's like the one console halo game that i've just not been able to finish and i finished one multiple times yeah i'm i'm with you there yeah it was kind of sad um but yeah that that happened uh and i've also picked up a bit of Sea of Thieves, um, which was, you know, the pirate game that came out a while back, which is really fun. It's really, really fun. Um, I kind of have been playing it, like, uh, with my partner, so it's been more of, like, a chill kind of social thing, kind of been treating it in a similar way to I treat Destiny, like, just doing what I want, not really caring about the story or anything. Well, I do care about the story in Destiny, but, you know, like, just kind of playing it as a social thing. Um, so, like, just kind of sailing around and... I run around after pigs because they're really cute and I feed them bananas because pigs are really cute kind of thing. Like, I just find my own ways to enjoy the game. And it is gorgeous. Like, the ocean animation and the sky and just everything is amazingly gorgeous. The color palettes are really good. It is a very pretty game. And I think, like, if you're playing it single player, it's not super exciting. But, like, playing it with other people as, like, a team thing or just social thing is really cool because it's kind of a cool space to hang out in. Um, so I really like it for that. Like, I'm not going to sink a million hours into it, but I enjoy it enough that, like, if someone asks me if I can help them with a quest, I'll be like, yes, I'll join you. I'll come and puff on and, like, help you sail your ship and look at the water a whole bunch. Um, yeah, it's, it's a cool game. Good. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. I've, that's one that's always online, right? Is that the other thing I've heard about that? If I remember, yeah. if I'm thinking of the right pirate game, is that there's been like a lot of griefing, like people take the chance to just kind of mess with players. Is am I thinking? It's of the right kind game? of yeah. It's kind of built for that though, because it is a pirate game, so you can form alliances, but also you can find people that are just terrible. There was one point I was playing um, with my partner and. 
they were like, they were like, do you want to blow up that ship and take their loot? And I was like, yeah, okay. And then the ship came closer and the person was like, hi, how's it going? And I was like, oh no, I don't want to. But by that point it was too late because we'd already set the gunpowder barrels. <laughs> and so we blew up this ship and I felt really bad. And both me and the other person died. So we're like, there's a like ghost ship you go to when you die while like you're waiting to respawn. And they just sat there like pointing at me with the pointing emote and I was just like using the quick chat thing of like sorry sorry I'm sorry and they were just shaking their head going no and just pointing at me and I was like I'm so sorry oh my god I can't believe I've done this um (laughs) so it's somewhat of an expected thing that you will get into fights with people um so like because yeah basically you have to treat it like actual pirates so like sometimes you can form alliances and people will be nice but sometimes you will find people who just want to destroy your ship and so you've kind of got to play it like, the ships, luckily, like, they're not, like, a ship that you build up over ages and that you care about at heaps. They're, like, kind of disposable. Um, a lot of the stuff is quite disposable. Like, you don't lose your items or anything when you die. Uh, so it is always, like, PvP and it's always online. Well, PvE, I guess. But, it, yeah, it, it, it creates an interesting dynamic with the game, um, which I find really interesting seeing how people deal with that. But, yeah, if, it's, if you want to go into a game and not, like, get attacked by people... Uh, like ever it's it's not a good game for you no that sounds like fun though if you go in expecting that yeah exactly and i think yeah a lot of online games don't really uh teach you to expect that so much yeah yeah so i think that's all we have for games right we yes. as expected could talk forever about destiny but yep the last thing that i want to talk about a little bit is kind of how we've both been doing more creative personal work or creative uh original work recently do we still we are going kind of long do we still want to have this conversation we can always recut it later what do you think yeah let's let's do it i think it's been a okay. while since we've been here i'm sure people will Okay. Be happy we're just back. <laughs> yeah, we're just we're getting uh, back in the swing of things, so I do appreciate people's patience. But so the main question here is: uh, How has being a creator changed how you look at fandom? And I've been thinking about this a lot recently when I think about the different ways I look at canon and fanon. I'm a big Destiny fan, obviously, and I'll ask a lot of questions like, "What does like what did the writers?" mean by this lore or what happened to this character a hundred years ago or what relationship does one character have to another um ask those questions in a fanish sense and the more i learn about behind the scenes stuff the more i realize those are kind of unanswerable questions because the idea of a persistent like background universe is not the same as the assumptions you operate under when you're in the revision teamwork process of actually creating this work. So asking yep. a question like, um, like, you know, where is Eris Morn? That's my question in Destiny. That's <laughs> like, that is like a super meaningful question to me as a fan with an emotional connection to a character. And I feel like, in my heart, there should be an answer to that question. Like, she's out there somewhere. Like, the creators know what she's up to. What what she's up to is going to be eventually revealed in the canon. When in truth, the more I think about it from a writing team's perspective, the there is no answer to that question. You know, what what where is she? Where is Ray Sloan? Like, those things are all up in the air because they might not have been created yet. They might not have been commissioned yet. They might not have 
they might change at the last minute for some reason. Um, and the thing that I kind of like summed up this idea with was <laughs> I wrote, we want to, I want to talk about <laughs> consistency, but in quote marks, because really <laughs> what I've learned from being a creator as well as a fan this year is that there's no such thing as consistency and there's no such thing as uh, persistent answers to these questions. I still ask those questions, but it starts to feel like code switching. So that's yeah, that's just something I've been thinking about recently. Yeah, I have two, not quite in the same way, but more in a way of like because I, you know, I work in games now, and I've I've worked on games, and I've even had um two games come out this year, uh, which I totally haven't even talked about before but now that i have like kind of been through the whole process they are not triple games obviously so i haven't worked on those massive teams um but my mentor is also triple a so like i've learned a little bit from him and i have a much more uh a much stronger like empathy for game teams and game creators and also just creators in general now because big project stuff like when you've got like more than two people working on a thing it gets you've got to like really be careful of how you handle stories, right? Because especially if you've got a team of writers, um, like I'm on a writing team at the moment and like you have to work within the bounds you're given, but also you don't get final say as just a writer on a team. You can pitch things and you can try and like make them as good as you can. Like like if you were on the Destiny writing team, right, you'd be pitching like era stories potentially or like if I was on the Destiny team, I'd be pitching stories about the ghosts. Um, but like you'd have to pitch it well enough that like they find it, valuable for the players in the game in the long term as well um yes and like when things go wrong in game releases uh i have a lot more empathy as well because i understand why these things go wrong and why this is so hard and it's basically because managing a big team and managing a story that's like built by so many people is extremely hard turns out who could have known um and so basically my side of it is just it like yeah, like some of it is like understanding why stories don't exactly do what I want them to do. And like, it's because, yeah, they don't have that persistent background. Because I think a lot of people when they first get into writing and like the idea of writing a thing is they create this like big ass law Bible, right? Like it's a thing of this is the entire world of my story. But the problem is if you're actually planning on writing something that's like kind of ongoing or even... Um, even not ongoing just long like a big thing is that you need to kind of set your core rules for whatever you're doing but you need to be flexible with everything else because it will change it will have to change to become a released product yes um whether or not you're doing it commercially it will change whether or not you want it to and building that law bible spends so much time playing all of the stuff that it becomes kind of daunting to even get into it because you've built this like these walls that you can't really escape uh and with games in particular like destiny big stuff that is like ongoing and ever-changing you can't really set all that lore in in stone to begin with because then you set yourself a very narrow path to follow and with big games like that you just you can't do that which is why yeah like if you asked a creator like about certain things they would be like i, I don't know it's, i don't i don't know it's not in our law <laughs> bible we haven't thought about that yet we haven't had yeah. to why would you ask me this question after kind of making this switch i'm actually amazed that more creators don't answer those questions that way i'm actually like, <laughs> yeah right amazed that i haven't seen that more often yeah same honestly because that's what I would do if someone asked me about that stuff. Like, cause I um, am currently working on an audio drama that I'm on the writing team for. 
I don't know how much I can talk about that. So I won't say much about it. But like, if you ask me right now, like I know my general, like the pitches that got accepted for the episodes I'm going to write. But if you ask me what actually, like how those episodes are going to end or what like the the actual arc of the episode is, yeah, I'd be like, I don't know. I just have this (laughs) general story idea. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't been told what the ending should be. I could figure that out however I want. But like, that's something I've got to figure out on my own. And also like in concert with the other writers. And yeah, I feel like if you haven't done that yourself, like if you haven't been through the process of like creating a thing and like pitching it or publishing it or like releasing it in some way, it's a lot harder to understand how, (laughs) just how kind of changeable all that stuff is. Yeah. And not only creating or writing something, but iterating on it, whether that's because you're on a team or because you just have multiple drafts of the thing. I've started, I mean, I always understood the idea of editing in that you have a draft or two but lately I've been doing a lot more work with like I'll have seven drafts of something I'll have five drafts of something and being able to do that requires being less precious about what you do and being less uh, concerned with whether you are preserving the initial idea and more with whether you're gradually improving that idea which I think when you're talking about tie-in work and franchise work, which I've not done. I I haven't had the experience of working on a game team, but I have seen the job listings and like spoken to people about how important it is to be uh, able to be flexible and not to be precious about your work. Like I, I -hmm. cannot, I could not go into a a writing, you know, job and say, I'm going to write a story about Eris. That's not how it works. That's not how you serve your audience. And that's not an effective iteration process. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, you could, you can't go on doing that. Like you can go and be like, I want to pitch the story with Eris. Um, but like whether or not it fits, like you, you have to be like, you have to be able to let that stuff go. Like if I ever wrote a Star Wars book, like God forbid. Um, I would be like, okay, I'm going to try and find a way to put Chuchi in here. But if it didn't work, like I would accept that and I wouldn't put her in. But I would try my best to pitch it so that she would be in there. Um, a lot of it is about negotiation, turns out, and communication, turns out. Uh, even if you're the sole writer on a thing, like you still have to negotiate and communicate these things because when it comes to games, everything is money and time. And you need to be careful with those things. Even if it's not a commercial project, you need to be careful with those things. And... Um, Oh, there was something particular I was going to say, but now I can't remember what it was. Um, Oh, yeah, about, like, the being precious thing. I was on a panel at PAX last year about, like, writing, game writing, with a bunch of other game writers. And a big struggle that a lot of them mentioned is, like, letting go of the ego and, like, letting go of, like, their precious children of writing and being able to be like, okay, no, like, this isn't what it needs. This isn't the right thing for the story. So I have to cut it, even though it's important. Or, like, other people come in, they're like, it's not good. Or like, it's not what it needs or it's not the right thing. And then being like defensive, like the frustration is that. And I've managed to kind of, I managed to kind of kill that when I was quite young. So I don't struggle with that so much myself, but it is hard when you've become attached to like a certain idea in something and you really want to use that, but you discover later on the idea is not working. Um, like I, I can definitely struggle with that in particular. Uh, I, with, I, I'm on like my, uh, fifth or sixth revision of the novel I'm working on at the moment. And like the amount has changed from the original intention of that novel has so much, like there would be two completely different stories at this point, just with similar characters. Um, And I think it's better for that. It is so much better for that. It's become a much more solid story. Like the characters are 
way better, like have way more depth um, than the original thing because I had like an idea that I wanted to bring across and I drafted it and I was like, this isn't quite right. And so I, you know, did it again and I did it again. And every time I've done it, it's become a better story for it. And if I, it took me a while to be able to let go of some of the ideas I had in it originally because I was really attached to those ideas. But when I did let them go and let myself change like how that worked, the story became stronger. And it, it is really important to learn how to do those things. But I think it's also important as a fan to learn how to let go of those ideas too, because if you don't let go of them and the story doesn't do that, it's a lot harder to like mesh with what the story's doing. And especially if like you don't even have control over the story, I think it's even more important to kind of let go of some of those ideas. But it can also be a lot harder because if you don't have control of the story, you don't have that like kind of uh, relationship with it where you can cut without feeling as much. Um because you've disengaged with it as a fan who like really loves the work. You don't have that distance that a creator might. Yeah. As much as I've been thinking about this, I've made a pretty conscious effort not to try to always look at fandom through this lens because I don't want to become bitter to it, even though it creates yeah. a lot of bitterness in itself. Like, yes, if something doesn't go the way I want it to go, I will be disappointed, but I have found that thinking about it as a team of writers or whatever, you know, whatever your example is, rather than as a fixed universe actually can kind of make you feel a little more chill about whether or not what you wanted to have happen actually happened. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think having to like learn personally that like, even if it's something that I've created and something that I care about, like sometimes I will like, it's something that like is quite dear to me. Sometimes it doesn't go that way. Like a story won't go that way because it's not the right way for it to go. And so having to like go through that with my own work and realizing that even stuff that I really care about and really want in my own work can't, can't happen. Like, I think it's made me more chill about that happening in fictional work that I'm not part of because like, I understand that maybe the creator is like, I don't know, they wanted it to happen, but it didn't serve the story properly or something. I mean, there are obviously times that I like, I'm still really mad about what a story does because I'm just like, that's dumb and I hate it. Uh, yeah, no, <laughs> but I think I totally, when it comes to like yeah. smaller things, I'm a bit more chill now. Um, well, not smaller things, but like, you know, putting like other things like in, I don't know, The Last Jedi or whatever. Like, I didn't have any expectations, expectations going into that except for a couple of things. And like, whatever it did was not what I expected. And I was like, you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to go along for this weird ride. Yeah, I definitely don't want to make it sound like I have like let go of all of my earthly concerns with fandom and that I don't have my own bugaboos <laughs> and my own biases because I think everybody does. But I've taken yeah. I have a sort of double vision about them now where you can see them as both the fiction is something that quote happened in a consistent universe and the fiction is fiction. It's it's a project. It's a a product of drafts and drafts and somebody being miserable probably because that's how writing works usually <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lot of writing is very miserable it's so glamorized but you're just like no i'm just sitting here like crying as i'm typing out words like five minutes for a deadline because i realized i forgot the deadline <laughs> I feel like it's glamorized until you hang out with writers and then yeah you ask someone when you get close enough to someone that you ask them how their novel is going and instead of giving you the polite response they just look at you with terror and you see the abyss in their eyes and then you know 
Yeah. And exciting novel news. I finally figured out the core theme for my novel as it is now, but also my brain because I've been working on games so much as opposed to um like actual novel and prose writing that as soon as I was like, yes, I have my core theme because I wrote a talk recently. I did a talk recently about uh, designing your game around your theme. And so as soon as I was like, yes, I have my core theme, my brain went, how can I design this book to better serve the theme? And I was like, Saf, you don't design books. That's not how it works. Huh. <laughs> and I just had to like shut down the narrative design part of my brain because I was like, yes, a theme. It's time to design this experience perfectly for the player. Ow. Um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and I was like, no, no, it's just a book. It's a passive thing. It's fine. Just write the book, Saf. That's interesting. I, I definitely feel that in terms of different kinds of writing kind of going all of them meshing mesh meshing together in your brain because i also have the, yeah. the novel in progress that has changed immensely over the summer for the good uh i think but i have to kind of fit it in while do, doing all these other projects and that is sometimes onerous yeah the novel is kind of like the lowest priority on all of my writing stuff even though i want it to be the top priority like money and deadlines and clients are like the most important priority unfortunately which means that the novel like if it could just focus on that i would have finished it this year i think but i can't uh but i also have the problem that i i sponge other people's writing really easily without meaning to and so i will start to write in the style of the most recent author i've read uh which means that like my novel has changed tone so much because i'll like read a book and then i'll go back to my novel for a little while and i'll i'll kind of mesh that style in with my own and then i'll leave it for a while i come back in the style i'm writing and then is very different and it's hard for me to like keep that consistency without actively working on it all the time so it turns out just coming back to projects every now and then is not the best thing to do sometimes i feel that because the other thing that you can do when you try to avoid writing in someone else's style and the thing that i've kind of had trouble with recently is that i try to stick to one style and end up kind of having no style at all it ends up sounding yeah uh kind of it's been scrubbed too clean so yes yeah i feel that what i tend to do with that process is i um at least what i've learned to do is let myself write in whatever style i've got currently and then when i do my edit pass is to like try and make that more consistent so like picking up the things that like i picked up in certain styles that i like and like basically noting them down so that i can bring them back later on when i'm editing stuff through um and then also erasing all of the accidental switching to second person when i've been reading the fifth season because it happens <laughs> um <laughs> i accidentally wrote an entire chapter in second person without realizing once and i went back and i was like oh my god nk jemison what have you done to me <laughs> um so i find like the editing process really kind of cathartic because I mean, like editing your own work is hard. I really, I, I love editing other people's work, but editing your own work is really hard. But it's also like really nice to edit something that's kind of rough and like polish it and be like, yeah, this piece of writing is so much better now. It's really good to have that kind of breakthrough. Um, I had discovered or changed, I think I'll say changed because it wasn't, it wasn't a super organic process, but I had changed something about my main character and made their motivation a lot stronger and i think it has been challenging to then thread that back through the novel but i think ultimately it's been better and i've been happy with that so far yeah i recently realized that like my main character upon looking back at it i realized i didn't have much agency as a character weirdly enough i got to this through thinking about twilight because 
Twilight. Um, anyways, but like the main character I had didn't have a lot of agency. She was just kind of things were happening to her and she was going along with it to make the plot happen. And so I've kind of gone back and been like, okay, like how can I change it? So she's actually actively making these decisions. It turns out I had to change a lot of the book to make that happen, but like I'm going to because I feel like that's an important thing that will be like very good. Like in the long term, they'll make the book so much better because it also changes a lot of the dynamics. Um, and it can be really hard to be like, this is extremely daunting and requires a lot of work. But in the long term, like if you want to create the best thing you can, whether or not this book ever actually gets published, because, you know, it's my first novel. Um, like, I think that's an important part of the process is to look back on your stuff with a kind of critical eye and be like, okay, what isn't working and why isn't it working? Instead of just kind of plowing ahead and just hoping it starts to work. Yeah. And kind of trying to find right now what I'm doing is putting together a lot of puzzle pieces and I am enjoying it. So I'm basically having to redraft the last half of this novel, but it's making a lot of things stronger at the same time, which has been really good because I've seen the way like basically having to change one thing means having to change another thing for the better in a way that is very accessible like I can see the the rungs of the ladder ahead of me I've just got to climb them now but at least I can see them yeah it's such a good feeling when you can actually see them because like this is gonna be hard but I can do it I can see it yeah yeah so and I think it's I, good to like sorry <laughs> no go ahead um but yeah like kind of a final thought on this is I think it's good to like for people who do create to be kind of like open about the process obviously like when it's like you're working on like some big AAA game, you can't actually be that open about your process because you can't talk about the things you're NDA'd for. But I think it's good for creators to like kind of talk about it because it's kind of assumed by people who aren't doing the stuff that a lot of it's easy, that like writing's easy and that creating a thing is easy. And it's like, it's extremely difficult. Like it requires a lot of iteration, a lot of like critical looking at your own work, which is hard and a lot of like perseverance and it's not something that a lot of people talk about so much. Like there's always the running joke that like, oh, everyone has a novel that they haven't written. But it's like some people actually are putting that work in and you may not see it, but it's it's there and it's a lot of work. And um, like the reason I've kind of been so quiet online is partly because of like health reasons, but it's also partly because I've just been so busy trying to actually like work on the projects I've got and finish things is that, you know, the rest of my time kind of disappears. It's either doing projects or destiny at the moment, which I'm okay with because it's kind of nice. That circles back nicely to what started this conversation, I think, which is about how you think about the internal consistency of your own story. And I don't, I personally don't want to sound like I'm giving advice because I don't really have the criteria. Like I can give you advice about nonfiction all day. I, I don't really, I have not <laughs> published fiction. I don't really think it's my like, I don't think you should listen to my advice, but um, I like all of what you said. And I guess the thing I want to finish <laughs> with that I, I'm going to try to vaguely connect to the fandom conversation, because fandom is a thing that I feel like I'm conversant in, in a way that's useful, is that you mentioned there's that saying that everyone has a novel. And I think that sometimes that can be used in an inspiring sense. Like everyone has enough life experience and enough talent to, to write a, a novel like I think that can be good but I've also heard that said in a kind of negative sense like oh anyone can write a novel like it's not hard to do or doing it is an act of 
uh, navel gazing rather than an act of creating something that others would be interested in. And I think it's important not to be discouraged by that. And I'm, I'm talking partially to myself because I get very, um, I have had in the past people kind of say like, yeah, well, like everyone's writing a novel and that doesn't mean that you yeah. can write your novel or like write your fifth novel or whatever you're on. So um, yeah, that's just sort of like a pet peeve of mine, I guess, is the like misinterpretation yeah, of, of the way people talk about that. Big same. Like I really hate the idea that like, you know, everyone's working on a novel, like, everyone's writing a novel. It's like, well, not really. Like a bunch of people have an idea for something because like ideas are, you know, something that you can have and you don't have to put too much work into them unless you actually want to realize them. Everyone has an idea for a story they want to tell because, you know, everyone kind of has that capacity. But if you're actually like writing the thing that you want to write and you're actually working on it, whether it's a slow process or like a quick process, if you're doing that, like that is so much, like that's incredible to actually be like writing a thing and creating a thing, whether or not you ever actually publish it or like decide to release it in any way, like it doesn't really matter at that point. Like whether or not you're other people think that like what you're doing is you know stupid and everyone kind of does that and everyone fails at it kind of thing like no so many people do succeed at this you can tell because there's so many books out there um i've gone weirdly inspirational about this but like i do extremely hate the idea like everyone's writing a novel but nobody ever actually writes a novel like no people clearly do like people do it all the time like i may not have published my novel yet even though i've been working on it for like six years but that's because i have grown a lot in six years and my writing has improved so much six years if i published that first version of the novel that would be very bad like it wouldn't have been published um and i think the most important thing is just to you know like even when it's hard just to like do it or like even do a little bit like uh i have a talk i'm doing next month uh month after i don't know soon i have a talk i'm doing soon i need to research and write like i need to do a lot of work on it um but i have started planning it i've written like a couple paragraphs of what i want to talk about in it and you know what that's a start that's something i'm actually working on it in some way and i think that's important i agree that's good i'm glad we kind of end on it like an inspiring (laughs) inspiring note and hopefully yay um we will have more kind of you know we will grow and have more experiences to talk about in the future in regards to original work so yes yeah uh, thank you for listening to our lengthy uh reunion episode and (laughs) as i mentioned at the top we do plan to go on a one month schedule for the foreseeable future so we'll be back talking about pop culture and video games in uh october um if you want to check out western reaches uh like the, our back catalog you can visit us at tashi station that's tashistation.net it used to have a hyphen it no longer does um saf where can people so find exciting. you and your work uh you can find me on twitter at wanderlustin w-a-n-d-e-r-l-u-s-t-i-n um i'm kind of on a social media hiatus at the moment so i'm not super active there but that is the best place to find me. You can also find my uh, podcast network and previous like serial fiction on notsafework.com. Cool. And I can be found on Twitter at blog full of words. All right. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. This is a one-way dialogue. We will talk at you next time. It sure is. <laughs> you will listen to us next time. <laughs>